And welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and our guest this week defies classification. Sue Pearlgut is many, many, many things. She is a teacher, actor, director, creator of various theater groups, lifelong advocate for female and racial equality, and since theater is not exactly big enough to hold her, she is also a documentary filmmaker. We're going to be talking about all those things, but we've decided to start with her work locally in Ithaca, New York, as a creator, founder, and director of the Senior Troupe at Lifelong. This is a group of senior citizens who get together and put on a couple of plays a year, all taken from life experiences. It's fascinating work. No one, including myself, can remember the year I started the Senior Troupe at Lifelong, but it was probably in the late 90s, but I really don't quite remember. Tell us what Lifelong is. Lifelong is um, a senior center in downtown Ithaca that has lots and lots of classes on art, uh, uh, drawing, art, uh, lectures on movies, opera, how to use the computer, um, how to write, all kinds of things. Senior adult education, sort of. That's right. That's, that's what it is. And it's also a center. You know, they have, they have events and, and do things like that. So I approached them whenever you, whatever year that was, and I said I'd like to start a senior theater troupe. And, you know, I really was modeling it on the work that I did in uh, New York City in the 70s where we did stories from our lives. So I wanted to do a senior theater troupe where the actors or whoever they were told stories from their lives. It was all going to be based on our lives. So I started it. I, I guess we put out the information and people came. So the troupe has been going for however long, could be 14 years, 50, I, I really don't know. And um, we have anywhere from five to 11 members. Okay. It changes. It has, the whole troupe has changed over the years. It's morphed. I've changed the way I do it. When I first started it, mm-hmm. we would do- What do you mean morphed? It, it has changed. The way we do the theater has morphed. It's changed. Okay. Uh, I started doing it where we literally were acting out the pieces of the stories people told. Mm-hmm. And after two years of that, they, the members looked at me and said, this is, this is way too tiring. <laughs> we can't do this. This is exhausting. I mean, we're senior citizens. You know, I have people yeah. in age range from 55 to 94. So what's the difference between doing, let's say, a script that's already been in the public domain, anything from Shakespeare to whatever, to recreating or, or doing parts of their own lives? Why, why is that more tiring? So I never did. I've never done scripts. So um, w- what was tiring was not the script. It was, the, it was act, literally running from place to place on the stage, acting out, re- memorizing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working with seniors. I couldn't memorize anything, but I expected them to. So it occurred to me, I'm not doing this in an optimal way for senior citizens. So I changed the whole way of doing it because I also was started to get people who weren't physically able to do some of the things I wanted to do. So I, I changed it to be uh, more of a, uh, it looks like to people more like a reader's theater, but I call it choral theater, where people tell their story. Uh, so there's the soloist who stands up and tells her, his or her story, and then the, the chorus is the theater troupe, which adds in other voices, sounds, whatever we need to add into the story. Sort of like a Greek chorus kind of structure here. It is a Greek chorus kind of structure. And 
Um, and it really worked. And they all have notebooks. No one's memorizing anything. They all have scripts. What we do is we pick a theme every year. We do it democratically. And, you know, we vote on a theme. We brainstorm, vote on a theme. And then everybody goes off and comes back with some story, either written or told. And then we work on everybody's story in the troupe, and the troupe comments on it. This works. This doesn't work. I don't understand what you mean. So we revise and we revise. And I have the scripts. I I take them home. I revise them. I come back. We work on them. We add in whatever we want to add in that the chorus is going to do. And in the end, we have a piece. So, um, for instance, we did a piece on memory, which was hysterical because we could always say, oh, gosh, we don't remember anything. (laughs) So, And it was a lot of fun. So everybody came in. And it would, it's whatever memory means to people. For some people, it was a memory they had. Right. For some people, it was about memory and how their memory doesn't work anymore. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's whatever. We, did a, we actually did a piece on aging, which was the, you know, finally, I had the truth for years. Finally, we hit aging. And, Why did it take so long to get to something so obvious? <laughs> because initially the troupe just wanted to do fun funny things we did things on hair we did things on nicknames and it was always funny stories and then one day one of the troupe members said to me my story isn't funny and i said good thank you finally exactly because i'm not i'm not telling them what to do and finally we had a story that was not a happy funny story and that allowed the troupe to become even more of an interesting... I mean, it was fun to see seniors tell stories and everybody right. laugh. Sure. But this just added a different dimension when they started to tell stories that had a little more um, sorrow, maybe, or, you know, someone... The story actually was about a woman who turned 64 and her uh, partner of 25 years left her. So that was that was our first like really heavy story and then we went from there and so sometimes they're light sometimes right. they're heavy and the mixture you know it's it's magical. The troupe starts off and they think how is this going to work? You know cuz I have new people coming in and out. How is this going to work? And in the end it does work. All the different stories work. Sometimes We'll put something in between, a sort of a like a running gag in between. Sometimes we won't, but it really does work. And how did that? How did that work? I mean, you said you were talking. They, they, they were starting off with funny things and happy things. How did that going from lightheartedness to things that actually matter? Maybe things you don't want to talk about in the first place because you are approaching. 71, and you see all these things happening to you between aging and memory, and you realize you're getting older every day. Um, how did that affect the, the dynamic of the group? It didn't. It's so fascinating. People, they just said, oh, okay. <laughs> and it just allowed some other people to maybe write something a little deeper, or a little sadder that they weren't going to do. But it didn't affect the dynamic at all. People just accepted. Okay, this is another story. How long did it take to break that ice? Um, I think I was doing the truth for at least six or seven years before somebody said, this is the story I want to do. It's not a funny, happy story. And I said, great. Wow. Yeah, it That's took a while. Because I, I, you know, I maybe I could have said something that would have allowed that sooner, but I just felt like they would do what they would do. 
And so here, so here's another. This is okay. So I developed this choral theater, and I, so I, you know, and in I don't remember. I see here we are. No memory. One year, um, the geriatric. uh, I can never remember particularly years, weeks, or months. Anyway, so it's yeah. I don't think it's aging. I think it's just too much information at this point. Well, maybe, maybe. So at some point, we were invited to perform at a geriatric conference at Ithaca College. Okay. We, we were the lunchtime. We did we provided we did ten minutes of our play, and I also did a workshop there. The one of the guest speakers, the keynote speaker, was a woman named Susan Pearlstein. Notice the similarity. Similarity in names, yes. Pearlstein. Yes. Yeah, so Susan and I did street theater in New York City in the seventies, and we that's how we knew each other. And okay. on and off, we have kept in touch, and. She developed something called Elders Share the Arts, and it's it was all about older people doing arts. And then she developed uh, the National Conference for Aging, something like that. Anyway, she was the guest speaker at Ithaca College, and she insisted that my troupe be the lunch. You know, she insisted that my troupe perform. Right. You know, she said, "You've got, you've got." something going on in Ithaca that is so important, you need to have it featured at this conference. So then, so she and I, you know, got back together and we're talking about theater and she hands me this book she's written about how to do senior theater and it's exactly what I'm doing. She calls it living history theater and it's the same format. It's the same, you know, I I was reading, I'm like, oh yeah, do that. Oh yeah, do that. Oh yeah, we end up doing that. And we both just start to laugh. Because we came Did out. Did you sue her for copyright infringement or something? or what? <laughs> No, we just laughed. Because okay. here we had developed, both of us, you know, on our own, yeah. had developed, we came to the same way to ending up doing theater with people, with seniors. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So working with seniors as, as a different group of, of theatrical people, I know, and working with kids and working with teenagers is one thing, and I've had Joey Steenhagen and Running the Places on the show, and honestly, what he does just scares me all to death. Both of us have worked with everybody in between that, so working with seniors, how is that different? What Are there any peculiarities to that? Are there, are there any different? Oh, you should see the look on her face right now, folks. <laughs> so working with seniors is, first of all, you have to have a good sense of humor, so it's a good thing I do. We laugh a lot in rehearsals. Someone who's new to the troupe last year said, oh, it's too bad we can't show people what rehearsals are like. <laughs> it's, it's a riot. There, it's just, I, I love everyone in the troupe, but sometimes it's like herding cats. And, okay. you know, I'll say, blah, 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 and someone will say, really? Now, I've only said blah, blah, blah 50 times. It's they 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 say they never heard it before. I still don't see how this is peculiar to to seniors because I've had that in most of my rehearsals. Maybe it's just endemic to actors in general. Maybe maybe, and it's just funny. It's just you know, and and there's also a hearing issue. You understand that people have hearing loss. Sure, yeah. And there are people who come in and they'll go, "Oh, I forgot my hearing aids today." <laughs> So we're like, I'm like, I'm screaming. The minute I start the senior troop, my my voice goes up. You know, I get louder. My sure. decibels get louder and louder. because, And I have some people in the troop who talk very, very, you know, and I'm training them to talk loudly. So that's definitely something. Hearing loss definitely impacts. You know, and everyone has an opinion. As you know, this is Ithaca, and seniors 
they're really opinionated. Really? I would have never guessed that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So everyone has an opinion. Yeah. And at some point, I just have to say, okay, I get to say, I'm the director. And, and that's how it goes. A lot of people in the troupe are not, don't see themselves as actors. They're doing this because it looked like fun. And I have to train them that... You know, my where I come from, I will not put on a play, I don't care who you are, that looks bad and sloppy. So I'm serious about rehearsals. We rehearse a lot. I'm very, 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 very into rehearsal because I want, I want them to be able to do this wherever we go. Now, we used to go to nursing homes um, to perform, and after two or three where... Everyone in front of us was falling asleep on their medication. Um, they, whoever who invited us would usher us into a room and then walk away. One time we were someplace and they were vacuuming next door. and we that always helps. We couldn't hear a thing and I had to, you know, anyway. So we just sort of stopped the nursing yeah. home route and now go places where we feel like people are going to pay attention to us because our stories are good and fun and informative or whatever they are right. moving and we want people to hear them and get them gotcha. you know it's still it's still not a professional group you know it's still a, a volunteer but right. it's it's but it's, theater. it's theater and it's people getting together to tell stories you reminded me of one of the startup groups we had here a few years ago that i was involved in the brobdingnagian players we used to perform at wownet which was a coffee place and we had a show where there was <clears throat> this heartfelt monologue. All you could focus on was the woman talking. And then someone started making one of those steamed espressos. And all you heard was this. <laughs> and everybody in the place turned their heads around and looked at her. So, yeah, vacuuming in one room. We've been there, yeah. Yes. So we just, you know, now we go places where, you know, we go to Buffalo Street Books Mm-hmm. Where it's you know where you can get an audience, and we go to the library, we go to McGraw House, we perform at Lifelong, right. so we perform, we perform places where we know the audience is going to really pay attention. Yeah, it's really been working out. I I adore this group, and I have a lot of fun with them, and I think the end product is stunning. Actually, I and 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 I don't I can say that. Because they write the stories, I don't write the stories. I mean, right. I help edit them, and I help get them in a theatrical way. Right. But I think the work they do, I think in the end, it, it's a really good performance. Excellent. You sent me a, a couple of small video clips, and I'd like to play one right now. Ride with me and my dog, Lupita, back in time on a five-and-a-half-week trip to this sandstone state, spring 2011. This will be no magic carpet ride, for I am 84, racing neck and neck with drivers who ignore the speed limit. 75 miles per hour. My reaction time is slow, my need for rest high, my mind repeating like a mantra. Don't get lost. Don't get lost. Don't get lost. So this was a story, uh, Thelma was driving cross-country with her dog at the age of 84, which like made us all, um, and she was fairly sure, uh, you know, she was worried about getting lost uh, on her drive, 
And it was something that went through her mind all the time. So we just articulated it in her piece. So that was going on in her mind, don't get lost. So we articulated it by having the group say, don't get lost, don't get lost, don't get lost. So that, you know, instead of her just saying, in my mind I thought, the troop says what she was thinking. Don't get lost. Don't get lost. I want to go back to, uh, I want to touch on, on your documentary filming. You've been a documentary filmmaker for a number of years. That I can remember. That you can remember. Because well, it was recent. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one of the things you worked on, which hasn't actually hasn't been released yet, but I've seen parts of on, uh, on YouTube, is the It's All Right to Be Woman. This was a documentary about a theater troupe that you were involved in a number of years back, all women, focusing on women's issues. I'm going to say women's issues today. We're, we're actually kind of comfortable with the fact that people do discuss women's issues. But back then, it was a completely different story. This is back in... 1970. Back in 1970. So we're talking second wave feminism is at its height. We've seen everything from um, Supreme Court case Griswold versus Connecticut and uh, Kate Millett's book, Sexual Politics, Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs and Roe v. Wade and all that sort of stuff. This is the era when bra burnings and all that sort of thing and everybody was watching half of America go completely nuts. So there you are with your theater troupe. What did you have to say? How were you saying it? And what kind of a response were you getting? So we formed It's All Right to Be Woman Theater in um, the fall of 1970. So that's, what, 44 years ago. Right. Woo! Yeah. Um, and the way it came about was that I um, was in a street theater troupe before that called Burning City Theater. So you get the idea. <laughs> you're not the quiet type, so really, you're not. And in Burning City Theater, we did, we performed in Central Park, we performed on the streets, um, and we, the culminating moment for me is we were invited to a, something in Toronto called the Festival of Underground Theater. This is 1970, the summer of 1970. Right. The Festival of Underground Theater in 1970. We're talking living theater and everything like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. So Bread and Puppet, the San Francisco Mime Troupe. um, You weren't just pushing the envelope. You were burning the envelope. Yes. yes. So so the Burning City Theater had uh, was men and women. And um, we had moved to a camp kind of in New Hampshire to live um, communally. Oh, don't ask. So <laughs> <laughs> now, now you make me wanna ask. Oh, well. So outside of Keene, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. we lived in this in this camp, and um, uh, it's so funny. I made one of those sociograms of the group after it was over, and there were concentral circles. Everyone was related to everyone. I was off. By myself to the side. Wait, 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 wait. How did that happen? Were you just watching? I just didn't. I I was like, I didn't want to be involved. I I wanted to be involved with some of the women, but I didn't want to be involved with any of the men, and the women didn't want to be involved. So there, you know, it was a pretty straight group. And I I had showed up with my boyfriend. I came with my boyfriend 
and he left. He wasn't able to take it. It was oh. like he was younger and he was like, he's like, oh, my God. And he got out of there fairly quickly. Um, but anyway, there we are in this camp in New Hampshire in 1970. 1970 yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, younger people might not get the picture, but. Um, it's everything you've been warned against, <laughs> kids. Okay. That's right. And um, yet the town was, they were, people were like, who are they? But anyway. You know, so, and we were trying to do some, we, we knew we had to do a piece for this festival of underground theater because we were invited and we were getting paid. This was uh -oh. big time. Yeah, right. So we tried, we were trying to put together a piece and trying to, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And finally the women, one of the women said, let's try working together as women. So we got together and we started to write a piece and it just was going nowhere. And I don't know who made the suggestion. But someone said, well, why don't we just talk about our lives? I sense a theme going on here. And the women of Burning City Theater made the most spectacular play. We each told a story from some... The way it ended up was everybody took a different age. And so it was sort of a... Every, it was like, you know, a different age of women as we were growing. And we all told the story and we, we acted them out. And we, it was, it was brilliant. It was totally brilliant. And the guys recognized that. So they pulled back and that was the piece that we were going to the Festival of Underground Theater with in Toronto. So in a Burning City Theater, we go to Toronto and we have a woman's play. And they're, they're like, oh my gosh. These women are coming. What are they going to do? Because, you know, it was women's, women's liberation and right. women were. And so the whole festival was shaking in their boots because we had a woman's play. And I won't even go into what it was like to be in Toronto in 1970 doing this festival. It was, it was wild. I mean, really wild. Give me an example. What do you mean wild? Was it, was it, did you, was there a lot of negativity directed no, towards you? Drugs. Okay. <laughs> and we stayed in this place, which eventually turned into some dorm for some university in Toronto, but it was some building. Mm -hmm. We were on the 15th floor. There were some guy climbed up out. I don't know. He climbed up and tried to get into our room because because some Native American players had been there before and he was he was mad at them and he wanted to get at them. And I mean, this is how wild it was, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. okay. There were people ODing. There were people, I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. And in all that, we mm -hmm. were there. Okay. Yeah, cultural excess. Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So luckily we had some friends, really centered friends who came up from places, you know, to see it. Yeah. Okay. So we do this woman's play and they're like, oh my God. And people loved it. They were blown away by it. They asked us to do it again. That's how much they loved it. What was it that moved them so much? Well, first of all, we weren't standing. They, they thought the, this women's play was going to be women jumping around on the stage screaming, I hate men. I hate men. Men are disgusting. Men, men, men. And it, was, it had nothing to do with men. It was about us. It was about our lives. So I told a story about me in ninth grade. And uh, it was just came from me. It came from it was real. Something that that I did in ninth grade. Someone else told a story about being a single mother. Someone else told a story about falling in love with a woman for the first time. Someone else told you know I'm trying to remember what the stories were. Um, gosh, I can't remember most of. Them. But anyway, they were all moving 
stories about us. They were they didn't bash anybody. They were beautiful. Being in It's Alright to Women Theater was a seminal event in my growth. That was the basic you go girl. <laughs> you know? It was a time of real transformation for me, separating from my parents, going from, as I put it, like pink pantsuits and makeup to, uh, you know, jeans, work boots, uh, like frizzy hair, the look. I think the theater group helped me grow up. I think it helped me accept myself as a lesbian. So, I mean, just to set this straight, because right now we're 2014, and women's studies are semi-regularly taught in college and it's it's not a strange thing to be confronted with anymore and it's not there's nothing really to be afraid of it's it's something to be discovered you know when when any part of society that hasn't had a regular respected heard from voice starts to speak out people naturally tend to fear this sort of thing so the fact that you are talking about things that are not regularly discussed where you know what was it the, the feministique, the, the, the female problem, why so many women were experiencing mental distress was because they were not listened to, they were not paid attention to, they were treated as third-class citizens, they were treated as chattel. And this is what you walked into with this powerhouse show. So the, so the context, too, is that movies, television, theater, the roles for women were, you know, mother, mm-hmm. whore, crazy fucked up person. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I say that? Whoops. Um, <laughs> I'm talking to George. Yeah, well, I can yeah. use that word. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming from a place where, first of all, women weren't seen as having any value to add to anything. The roles in theater, film, and movies were horrible roles. Right. So we took it we decided, you know, go to audition, you, you know, forget it. We took it into our own hands to tell, to be women and to tell our stories and to say, look, we are women, we have something to say, and we can do it very well. So that's what we did. We created our own theater, telling our own stories. It all came out of no roles, no nothing for women back then. Unfortunately, this is 2014, and it's still not great you know i have friends who are do what i would call broadway or off broadway there are not that many women directors that thought you know the roles for women still suck it's really this is a constant constant argument that i am still discovering with fellow playwrights fellow actors there are no roles for women of a certain age there are no good roles for i'm not doing shakespeare because shakespeare treats his women like crap there's more than it used to be no doubt about that and progress has been made but it's still yeah if if you look around who are the directors who are the producers right who's running the theaters there's there's still great strides to be made here and, and lots of acres to be crossed before there's anything close to equality yes I I actually needed a break from life. So I went off with my friends from Rochester and left the left the theater troupe for a while. They did the piece without me and and then I knew when I left. I said, "Whoa. This is I need to do this with women. That's what I need. I need not to be working in this troupe. I tried to get the women in Burning City, they wouldn't do it. And that's when I I moved back to New York City from the commune. We all, it all broke up anyway. 
Um, and um, some women in New York had seen... Oh, we did the play in New York City. Right. So we were seen by women in New York, and some women approached me, and I said, "We, I want a women's theater troupe. We started doing workshops at Alternate U on West 14th Street, which was a Marxist alternate university. Okay, yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so when did you say Marxist? So it was great. It was a very cool place. It was Absolutely. a very cool place. So anyway, we had, were doing workshops, and people would come and go, and finally one day... I said, okay, this is it. Whoever's in this room is in the troupe. There were 10 of us. And I had a good friend, Roberta, who I'd met the summer in Toronto. And I said, and Roberta's going to be in the group. And we formed the group. That was it. We formed and we sat down and we we're like come, trying to come up with a name. And a woman had written this poem. And in it, she said, it's all right to be woman. So, of course, then everybody was taking copyright. Who cared? So we just took her poem, and we named ourselves It's All Right to Be Woman Theater. And we went on for six years to perform all over the, mostly all, mostly in the New York City area, right. colleges, community centers. We did do performances out west, uh, Midwest. So now it was all women, right. and we were doing stories from our lives. And we got grants, and we got funded, and we'd have... You know, as you saw from the the videotape, right. uh, you know, we'd have an audience of, you know, 500 people would come to our performances. We'd have women. The places were packed. packed. And, and the audience, yeah. I mean, the shots of the audience, they were just enjoying it. Yes. They were wrapped. And it's just the women's faces in the audience seemed so happy and so engaged with what was happening on stage. It was somebody is speaking to me in my own language, you know, telling me yes. stories that I have not been able to tell other yes. people. And there were many aha moments for the audience. Mm. You know, we, unfortunately, we were not unfortunately. A lot of women left their husbands. <laughs> but anyway, we'd have women's night. We'd have men. So women's night was Saturday night and, and the total public night was Friday night. And you couldn't get away with that now. Um, but that's what we did then. Yeah. And we performed all over and we were, we had fans and we were very well received and, um, you know, and we documented nothing until um, we finally, oh, Channel 13 in New York City, which was a, what they call it? It was a public TV station. Channel 13, somebody must have seen us perform. And Channel 13 wanted to tape us. So we're, you know, this is 1972, and nobody wants media attention. And we say, no, you can't tape us. Please let us tape. Okay, you have to pay us. So this is another difference between yes. way back then That's and right. way back now. We right. tape everything right. and today. We want to be taped by... And then we put it up on Facebook right. and Twitter That's and YouTube. Right. And, That's you know, right. our phones can, right. can tape us 16 right. ways from Sunday... And you guys said no. We said no because we didn't want the media to co-opt us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we said, okay, you have to pay us. It has to be an all-woman crew. Mm -hmm. Unheard of then. Totally unheard of. And it has to be an all-woman audience. And they said okay. The women in the crew were so happy because they, they agreed to this they agreed to because they agreed channel 13 agreed to this and they got an old woman crew who yeah. were beside themselves with the fact that they were hired to do stuff like this right 
So we had, we did. So part of the video you see is in color. There's a performance, and you'll mm -hmm. see that's that's the taping for Channel 13. What they did do was they took out every reference to lesbianism that was ever in the play. But hey, and when confronted, they yeah. said, they said uh, the audience is not ready for that's this. That's right. That was my next question. That's okay, right. Okay, so yeah, the show contains elements of lesbianism, yes. which was. And I, I, it was as a worldwide topic. It was a national topic. It was new. It was being brought out, and you know, I, I remember my parents referring to lesbianism in these oblique terms. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's. I remember my parents talking about an actress from way back, and the room goes a little bit quiet. And I remember my mother saying, "He has a little bit more of the man in her than most women." So they say the audience is not ready for lesbianism being discussed. Um, On TV. What yep. was the ramifications of that? I mean, how, what happened? Well, I don't remember any of this, but when I started to make the documentary about It's a Right to Be Woman Theater, yeah. people came, people told, talked about their memories of this incident. And some people felt... Some people, I probably was one of them, said, let's go ahead and do it anyway. Mm. Other people felt like they weren't supported. Some people, so it really actually, um, it actually, in a way, broke us apart. There were 11 of us to start, and we split the group. We told some people they had to leave. And they weren't all just straight. It was a, it was a. It was a very weird... My memory was it was more of a creative split. Right. Other people's memory is they were kicked out because they weren't lesbians. But some, some of the lesbians left. So And some there were straight women in the troupe. So, so I mean, wasn't, you had straight and lesbian women left in the yes, troupe. Yes. So it was an odd split, right. you know, and we were left with six people. It was a painful, odd split. And as I say in the documentary... Who were we? I mean, who who did? Why, why did I get to decide who stayed and who'd go? You know, it was a it was a collective, right? Um, and it was a painful chapter in our history. And those things were happening all the time then. There was all these things going on, but we yeah. weren't. We didn't end up to being a lesbian group. We still had straight and and right. lesbian women. It's so. It, it was, for me, it felt more like a creative, like where did we want to go with the troupe? What kind of stories did we want to tell? How did we want to tell them? And there were other people who just weren't, I didn't feel like we're doing yeah. the same thing I was. I, I read a lot of history, and part of what I've read has to deal with communes that people have started up. I mean, there's a history, a whole history of communes across the United States, and people still do them. You know, it's in Spencer, where I live, there was a commune. It might have actually been on our property. We don't know. But these things never do last. They go for a while. And I think when you put a whole bunch of people together with a certain ideal that they're all following, it's good for a while. And then all of a sudden, things change and people start to assert themselves. And the internal politics, despite this overwhelming single purpose that you're supposed to be there for, gets undermined by individuals who people want to change things and they want to go different ways. And there's always people who don't agree with them. So... When you talk about it breaking up, I mean, that's, in a sense, it's kind of inevitable, I would have thought. I mean, theater troops break up all the time because the dynamics change. People come and go. They want to do different things. They're not getting what they want. And other people are having too much power or whatever it might be. So for something like this to dissolve. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things I didn't say is we were a collective, you know, so we, everyone was the director, which could, it was a problem at times. Everybody Mm -hmm. was the, you know, the only thing that everybody didn't do was the bookkeeping. Some people took that on, (laughs) thank heavens, but we were all doing everything. We all were getting the props. We were all, you know, we, so we did everything supposedly. Um, And, and sometimes collectives, you know, they, they just, you know, it's true. I think it was more painful because we were trying to, in the women's movement, trying to live to a higher standard, a higher ideal. We're women. We do things differently. You know, we're not going to... We're not going to screw over each other. We're sisters. And then you do. And then things happen. You know, and every time something happened to me by from another woman, you know, I would think, oh, wait, I'm a woman. Why did she do that? You know, I was always surprised because I really I really believed in the women's movement. I still believe in the women's movement that, you know, we could do things differently, that we could be different people. But, you know, we, we do live in the larger society and those things happen. You talk about the women's movement as a single entity of a sort, and yet it's so not because within that movement there are – a typical case, you go ask a woman what she wants as a member of the women's movement. She'll come up with ten things, and they're ten legitimate things. We're talking about so many things that came up within the, quote, second wave, and I don't, still don't know if that's a proper term to use it or is. not. Okay, it But it's it's the right to do that, the right to do that, the, this right to be heard, this right to be equal, equal pay, which you're still not getting, okay? And, I mean, look at, look at who's on the board of directors a lot of times and who's in charge of companies. You're still fiercely underrepresented. So it's one movement with 100,000 different aims, it's a heck of a fight. It is. It is. And there were, you know, there was lots of fights within the women's movement. And, you know, but, you know, the theater troupe, we had all agreed. We're telling stories from our lives. This is right. what we're doing. And yet, you know, there were creative differences. There were women who felt as lesbians they weren't supported. There were, you know, things were going on. Right. And and we, that's what happened. At the time, it seemed right. In 2007, we had a reunion so I could, because I wanted to make this documentary. Yeah. Everyone came, one person wouldn't come because she just felt like she didn't want anything to do with it, us and the troop. Times change. Uh, yes, yes. And she just, she was done. But everyone else came. It was really quite amazing. It was really something. And then, I, you know, I heard stories I hadn't heard. People were talking about right. their perspective of what happened in the troop, which. You know, I had mine, and when yeah. I heard these stories. Let's go back to the actual shows. All right, it's all right to be woman. Yeah. And you do the show. It's after the show. You're talking to the men who have seen this show. Give me an idea of their responses. Ah, uh, let's see. Well, I mean, because yes, you're 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 speaking to the choir, and the and the women are hearing their their yes, their, their personal histories and yes. loving it. You know, I, 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 the men who were in relationships with the women in the troop were very supportive. Truthfully, then, I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> I was like, really? I was like, this is for women, and whatever yeah. is fine. So I, back then, I really wasn't that interested. Bizarre. We performed for, um, we performed in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Yeah for the university there. 
So at least New York understood what we were doing. Yeah. They didn't know what to do with us. They didn't know. There was usually there's always laughter and that. Yeah. It was silent through the whole performance. They didn't know they could react. The only performance we ever did where there was, we got nothing from the audience. What happened after the show? They loved it. They came up and they were, the women were like, oh my God, this is fabulous. And we said, so how come, well, we didn't know we could. We didn't know we could respond. We didn't know we could laugh. We didn't yeah. know we could. They didn't, these kids didn't know that they could respond. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. What, how did they react when they realized they had permission to do something like that? I don't, I mean, maybe the next time they saw a troop like that, they responded, but it was, you know, it was over for them. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of these kids and I'm, I'm just watching the light bulbs go on behind their yeah, eyes yeah, and yeah, yeah. the realization that yeah. something else has been broken down and the fact that they sat there the whole time and... You know, it could be that thing too. It was, it was men and women. Yeah. It could be that thing too where... Like in co-ed classes, women are don't raise their hands as much, mm. don't want to appear to be smarter than the boys. I don't know if that still goes on. Not in my circles. <laughs> so it could be that I'm sitting with my boyfriend. I'm afraid to show him how yeah. much I'm getting into this. Could be. It could be. I just don't know what was going on, but it was... Not silent. Since we're talking about universities, I want to go back to what we started before you actually went to teach um, in Cuca College, nearby here, and to teach theater. Yeah, I went to NYU and got my master's in educational theater. Uh, And how well were you received in in Cuca College? He said loading this question. So I got the job to to run the theater department at Cuca College. And when I was teaching at Cuca College, it was an all-women's school. I get there, and there are very few women enrolled in the actually taking a theater major. But but other people could take classes. So I was teaching classes, and I had a huge, huge office. And it was empty, and I, I had just come from New York City where I owned a feminist bookstore, and I had all these books. So I said, I'm turning this half of my office, which was huge, into a woman's center. Duh. Okay. So I put all my books there, and I had, you know, I put chairs, and I had it become a little like woman's center. Right. Right? Um, so that was one thing I did that they were like, who did we hire? Um, and then... Well, no, seriously, what kind of noises did you get when... when what did they say when, when they, they discovered they this? They scratched their heads. They weren't quite sure why I was doing that. They weren't quite sure why you were doing that. Okay. This is 1983 is when I taught there. 1983, Reagan, the Age of Enlightenment, wasn't it? Yeah, somebody's enlightenment. So I get the first, so I'm, I, what I have to do is direct a play. So I pick a play written by an old, very old play called Miss Lulu Bet that was written in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's a women's college. And I think, cool, I'm doing a play from the 20s. I'm going to cast... I'm going to do the old-fashioned thing and cast women, just women in the play, because right. otherwise you have to get people from the community, which seemed weird to me, since this sure, is a college. Right. Um, and I cast women in, in men's roles, and I colorblind cast, and I had the lead. The lead was a woman of color. They did an amazing job. An absolutely amazing job. None of this would make an eyebrow raise in Ithaca today. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there right now. Yeah, Cuca College, Cuca Park. 
the administration really, really, really freaked out. How so? What happened? Well, I remember people telling me that, that it was, uh, I shouldn't have just cast all women. I should have had men in the play. It was just very, it disturbed them. It disturbed them greatly to see young women playing male roles. Why were they so threatened? It... It's 1983 Cuca Park. They were just, you know, and I probably, coming from New York, made some assumptions and didn't bother to talk to anybody and explain what I was doing. Like, this is a tradition in women's schools. After the fact, I tried to tell them this. This is what's done. Who was running this woman's school? Was it women running the school? Um, Actually, it was a woman who was the most upset. That's just bizarre. Yeah, she was pretty upset. Was she a woman dean alone in a sea of male deans? She was. There was a male president. Yeah. Mm. I was only there a year. Oh. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to stay, and I, I really don't think they would have rehired me. Oh, because along with the theater thing I did was, that was the, so, yeah, the Women's Center, casting all women. Do you think this was just a way of getting you to shut up? Well, it was, a, yeah, they didn't want me there. Tell us more about when we can see, hear, and witness the senior troupe. And you've all, you're also working on another documentary, so let's okay. let's talk okay. through those. And right. yeah. So the senior troupe, um, we now do two plays a year because it takes a while to develop them. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we? We will have a play uh, in late November, early December. And you will send on stage, off stage, all the pertinent details okay. of when and where we can do this so we can put you on our arts calendar. Yay! Yay, okay. I am, so theater is my first love, and from theater, I fell into filmmaking. And mm. I'm working on my fourth documentary, and it's uh, about a woman, our former assemblywoman, Constance Cook, and the amazing work. She was a pioneer. She was an amazing woman. She was doing the things that I was doing in the 70s. She was doing them in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. She was a total pioneer when it came to women's rights. She did it in a very different way. She really believed to do it within the system, where I was like, forget the system, we're going to do it our own way. She did amazing things, including decriminalize abortion in New York State in 1970, which impacted my life because I was on the street protesting for abortion rights one day, and the next day I didn't have to. We're making this documentary about her on November 19th, at Cinemopolis will be a preview screening um, because it's really going to be released next year, but we're going to preview it in Ithaca um, in November. So, Pearl God, this has been so much fun. I mean, this is so much good stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show, and good luck with the projects, and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you.